of being with you this morning. We are continuing uh, the series this morning on the parables of Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to actually look at the one called the Ten Virgins or the Ten Bridesmaids found in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 25. Um, if not, you can just kind of follow along on the slides behind me. Uh, parables are interesting. We know that parables are basically earthly stories with heavenly meanings. In other words, we know that Jesus would take pictures for us. In fact, we think in pictures, not in words. For example, if I say rainbow, what do you think about? You don't think R-A-I-N-B-O-W, do you? You think of the colors of the rainbow. You think of this beautiful arching color prism over the, in the sky after a rainfall. So we know that we think in pictures. So Jesus, therefore, when he taught, he taught in parables. Or he taught in pictures to help paint a very vivid and a very clear picture about our heart and our life. And so this morning, we're going to look at the parable at the ten virgins but what you have to understand sometimes in the bible you have to understand what comes before it and what comes after it for example in matthew chapter 24 jesus is talking about his second coming he's talking about when he will return to earth uh, after his resurrection and in fact in matthew chapter 24 it also talks about how the end of the world uh, will be it's going to tell about the morality of the world basically the condition of the world and all wrapped up. So in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking to disciples and he's teaching them about his coming back the second time. And he's showing them or he's telling them what the world is going to be like. So, OK, so get that in your mind, because Jesus is talking about his second coming. This is his thought. And now he picks up when chapter 25 with the parable of basically the bridesmaids or the virgins, one of the things we have to understand is that Jewish weddings are different than the weddings we have here in America. Really, they're completely different. And, and so when Jesus was teaching about the bridesmaid and the preparation for this wedding, the culture that he was talking to understood it very clearly. They understood when he began talking about the wedding, their mind automatically began to process what took place. And so I want to teach you this morning just a little bit about what a Jewish wedding was like so that you can have a better understanding when he started talking about the bridesmaids, what was going on through their mind. So first of all, we need to understand that Jewish weddings are the biggest event in the Jewish culture. Nothing supersedes, nothing surpasses a Jewish wedding. Jewish weddings are the event in the Jewish culture, even today. They will last seven days. They'll go on for a week. Could you imagine being at a wedding for a week? But that's how important Jewish weddings are. They'll go on for a week. Not only that, Jewish weddings basically consist of three different parts. There are three essentials or three key parts in a Jewish wedding that we're going to look at this morning to help us understand about the bridesmaids. So here's the first one. It's called the engagement. <laughs> now, the engagement in the American society is when this young man falls in love with this young girl. He finds that place that's going to be just right, the opportune time, be very romantic. And then maybe he takes her out to dinner. I don't know. But he gets to that one place and then he opens up the little box with the ring and then he says, will you marry me? 
You know, maybe your engagement was a little different. I don't know. I don't know what you were like. Do you remember what it was like when you got engaged, ladies? Men, do you remember what it was like when you were asking that question? So in, in American society, the young boy falls in love with the young girl, tries to find the right place to do the, the proposal, and then he does the proposal. Well, here's the way the engagement goes in the Jewish culture. The engagement was an official contract between the two fathers who were giving their daughter and their son to each other, as it were. So engagements really weren't made with the couple. They were actually made with the fathers. And still that way today, uh, kind of another terminology we would call they were prearranged marriages. The fathers make the engagement. The couples do not. Now, that may seem a little strange to you, because could you imagine your parents choosing your spouse for you? You were thinking, thank God they didn't, right? (laughs) But in Jewish cultures and Jewish customs, the fathers made the engagement. They arranged it. Now, you got to understand, children were involved a little bit like, you know, hey, son, what do you think about her? Hey, daughter, what do you think about him? I mean, they just didn't go in blindly. They were they had some input for the children, but the engagement itself had nothing to do with the children. It actually had to do with the fathers. And usually the father of the son of the groom would give the father of the bride money for her. He during this engagement, there was an exchange of currency. There was an exchange of gifts to solidify the engagement. It just wasn't a verbal Hey, I'd like my son to marry your daughter. Okay, great. That's not the way it happened. There was an exchange. And of course, ladies, the prettier you were, the more money he got. It's just kind of the way it was. Now you say, well, I'm beautiful and you're right. But in those days, you were basically paid for. You were purchased um, by the father for the son. And you can say, well, that seems a little a little rude. I, I wouldn't want anybody to purchase me. I don't know. I can remember my heavenly father purchasing me. Remember? God purchased us through his son Jesus. In fact, what we read in John chapter 6, it says no one can come to the father, you know, no, unless what? The father draws him. Jesus says nobody can come unless the father draws. So during the engagement in the Jewish culture, the fathers made the engagement. They were the ones that developed it. They were the ones that that took care of all the legal issues. Well, even in our society, even in our Bible today, we read where the only way we're ever going to go to heaven, that it, God has to draw you to himself. You just don't get to choose when you're going to be saved. You just don't get to choose when you're going to come to Christ. You get to choose when you come to Christ, when the Father draws you. And so you can see, even in our marriage to Jesus, in our marriage to the Father, he has to be the one that makes the arrangement. In fact, we read that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's the exchange. There is the gift given for you for the wedding. Just as the groom gave a gift for the bride, God gave his gift of a son for us. In fact, there's a story told about a young lady that was not very pretty. In fact, not very many people in the village thought she was. But there was a prince that came into town looking for a bride, and he saw this young lady. 
And the, the father of the bride was hoping if I could get maybe three or four head of cattle for her, I'll be doing great. I mean, this will be a win-win situation if I can get that much out of her. Well, the father of the groom gave 10 cattle for her. And everybody in the village just could not believe that he would give that many head of cattle for this bride because everybody else didn't think she was worth it. They didn't think she was pretty enough. The story goes on to say because that many head of cattle were given to her, she became the most beautiful woman in the village. All because of what her father, uh, the groom's father thought of her and what the groom thought of her made her who she was. So understand that in our marriage to God, that God thought so much of you and God thought so much of me that he gave his son's life. So you have to understand how valuable you are, how priceless you are to him. So the first thing we see in a Jewish wedding is the engagement where the fathers exchange gift. They make the legal issue. The second one is what we call the betrothal. Boy, if we had this in America today, we'd be a lot better off. This is what the betrothal is. The betrothal could take up to a year for a young man to get things ready to take the bride to be his own. He had to provide a place for her, perhaps to build an addition onto his father's house or a house of his own or to purchase land and cultivate a field and show that he could care for her. And so he had a year to prepare his home for her, to prepare his life for her. So during the betrothal time, this young man had to get a home, had to get a job, had to show everybody that he was ready to take on the marriage and he could legally, he could responsibly take care of his wife. I don't think that happens too much today in America. We just get married and hope it all works out and we'll move in with mom and dad if it doesn't. See, in the Jewish culture, this young man, once the engagement happened, notice the Bible, t- or we read that they had a year. In other words, he just couldn't sit back and go, well, I've got a little bit of time. I can, this engagement can go on as long as I want it to. Nope, he had one year to get everything in order. He had one year to plan everything out and get it ready. He had to make a home. He had to build a house. He had to buy a house. He had to have his own land so that he could be responsible and care for his bride. In the meantime, she had to keep herself pure. She had to keep herself holy. She had to make herself ready. So whenever that... Now, the time period could be less than a year. The most it could be a year. He could be done in three months. He could be done in six months. It all depended on how fast he worked. But what we understand through Jewish customs and cultures is that he had a year. And in the meantime, while he was prepping and preparing, she was prepping and preparing for him as well. If this young man so happened to die during the betrothal area, she was legally considered a widow. Even though they never had consummated the marriage, even though they had never been together, because legally during the engagement, the exchange was done done they were to they were then working to be together if any death happened he would be considered or she would be considered a widow or he would be considered a widower because in this time he was making his way for his bride to come well do you understand today that's what's happening right now jesus is our groom we are the bride the church is his bride and jesus tells us in john 14 In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
So we're looking at Jewish customs. And you're going to see that the Bible is like one big quilt. You're going to see a lot of scriptures that are woven together that makes this beautiful masterpiece. The Bible's like a puzzle. You're going to see how these little pieces all connect and make one big picture. John 14 simply very clearly tells us about the Jewish marriage and about the marriage we have with our Lord. That right now, our groom, we're in that betrothal state where Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. That's what he's doing. He, he's getting ready for that. The groom is getting ready for the husband. And at the same time as the bride is supposed to be being pure and holy for her groom, the same thing is supposed to be for us. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to her himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He loves his wife as he loves himself. But notice that as the bride was getting ready for her husband in the Jewish wedding, we see also we as the church of Jesus Christ, we should be pure, we should be holy, and we should be without blemish. So when Jesus comes back to get his bride, we are just like that bride. The third thing in the Jewish wedding is the feast. And as I've already told you, the Jewish wedding is the most celebrated event in all of the Jewish culture. And weddings usually take a week. They have this massive celebration. And what you have to understand is that during this week-long time, the husband and the wife or the, the groom and the bride, they've yet to really get together. It's at the very end of this celebration that finally the, the, the groom's best man hands him over to the bride and gives him to her. And then finally the marriage is consummated and they're off to be together. But could you imagine? It takes a week. Big, long celebration. So the Jewish wedding has an engagement where the fathers make um, the wedding, so to speak. They arrange the marriage. We have the betrothal part where the groom goes home and he begins to prep and prepare for his wife. She begins to be pure and holy. And then when he finally comes back, she's waiting for him to come back. See, in America, it's just the opposite. Who do we wait on in our weddings? The bride. Remember, he stands at the altar and she comes through the door. Dun, 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 you know. Maybe on our next wedding, we ought to let her wait at the altar and let him come through the door. You ladies wouldn't go for that, would you? But according to the Bible and Jewish customs, that's exactly how it happened. They would wait for him to come back and finally they would celebrate the feast. Well, here we go again. Watch the interweaving of the Bible. In, Re in Revelation, we read, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made uh, has made himself ready. And to her, he's granted to be arrayed in fine linen and clean, bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true saints of God. One day, Christ is going to call. He's going to come get his church. And we are going to go to the feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So you can see in Jewish customs, as far as a wedding is concerned, we have an engagement, we have a betrothal, we have a feast. So, so now that we have that picture painted in our brain, 
Now we'll move on to the parable so that you can understand what he was saying. Remember, in Matthew chapter 24, we read that Jesus is teaching his disciples about his second coming and about the end of the world and about what happens when he comes back. So then following that same train of thought, he says this, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now we know that the bridesmaids basically are the professing Christians. The reason why there's 10, basically in a Jewish wedding, there are 10 bridesmaids. So as Jesus is painting the parable, the picture, they follow this immediately. Okay, there's 10 bridesmaids. We understand that. And the bridesmaids here are those who are professing Christians. And notice the key word is professing. They may not, they're not, all of them may not be a Christian. They're just professing to be one. We also know that the lamps represent their profession of faith or their testimony. So when he says, as he's talking about this parable, he said, they're 10 bridesmaids. We know. And they are carrying their lamps. Remember, we that the groom goes away for a year and they wait for him to come back. Now, obviously, he just doesn't kind of sneak up on you. They know typically when he's going to start coming. But their whole point is that when they know the groom is coming for his bride for this massive celebration, these bridesmaids will line the streets with their lamps and they will light the way for him coming. So when he comes, all of the city or everybody that's coming to be a part of the celebration can see the groom coming. Well, the bridesmaids are us. And we are supposed to light the world so that when our Savior comes back, they can see him and they know who he is. They won't have to second guess who he is because we will be showing the light of Jesus to them. The Bible tells us you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good ideas shine, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone who praised you for your heavenly father. So he starts the parable by saying there's 10 bridesmaids. They got their lamps and they're waiting for the groom to come. We are those bridesmaids. Our lamps should be lit waiting for our groom to come. Then he goes on to say five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. You got to notice half of them were unprepared. I, you know, and so what we see is that here we have these bridesmaids. They have been chosen to be the bridesmaid. Any of you ladies ever been a bridesmaid? Isn't that like exciting? You get to be in the wedding. You get to celebrate this wonderful event. Well, they were chosen. We're not sure why, but Jesus wants... There's not no real key reason why there was only five. Jesus is just wanting us to see a point that there are a lot of people that will be in church that are going to be foolish. Notice he didn't say just one of them didn't have their oil. He didn't say two of them. He said five of them. And so it's not like, okay, that means half. No, he was making the point that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be what we call the bridesmaid. They're going to be people in church. They're going to be people who profess to be Christians coming to church, and they are going to be foolish. 
More people will be unprepared when Jesus comes than we expect. That's the whole point. We have five bridesmaids. Now, maybe some of them, this was their very first wedding. I doubt it. I mean, ladies, when you get invited to a wedding, you know everything that's going on, correct? It, it wasn't like these ladies weren't uh, informed. It's just the Bible says they were foolish. They were not prepared. They didn't have enough oil. But notice the five wise had even more than enough. We are those bridesmaids. Some of us are going to be foolish. We are going to be so unprepared when Jesus comes. Where others will be more than prepared when Jesus comes. We're waiting for that day. We're anticipating that time. We are we're reading our Bible. We are praying. We are, we are seeking the lost. We are winning the lost. We are we're ministering in our community. We are those wise people. But some will be foolish. And Jesus sets it up to say, here's the wedding. We've got five wise and we've got five that aren't wise. And he says, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Just a parable. Just letting you know that the bridegroom was delayed. What you have to remember was, if you go back and read Matthew chapter 24, the disciples said, Christ, when are you coming back? You've told us you're coming back. When is that? And, and so what Jesus wanted them to understand was that I'm going to delay in coming back. So when you think I'm coming back, more than likely I'm not coming back. And what happens a lot of times for us is that we get in church, we get all excited and, and we love church and we love the Lord. And, and then all of a sudden we kind of reach it, what we call it, into kind of autopilot. And we kind of slow down. And, and we, we don't read our Bible as much as we used to. We don't fellowship as much. We tend to get distracted. And to be honest, we, what we pretty much do is we kind of fall asleep spiritually. Now, you might as well understand we've all done that. All of us have reached a place in our spiritual life where we've kind of just kicked it into neutral and we don't read, we don't pray, we don't do the things we used to do because we just kind of have become drowsy. We've kind of become lethargic. And for most, Jesus never comes when we expect him to come. That's what this whole point about it is. The disciples were waiting. They were anticipating what Christ was trying to tell them was, hey, listen, I'm not coming back when you think I'm coming back. So what's going to happen is you're going to put that in the back of your brain and you're not going to think about that. And basically, I'm going to come back when you least expect it because you'll be dozing off. You'll be drowsing. And you have to understand this happens with a lot of young adults. They'll say, listen, I've got all day long to come to the Lord. He's on the back burner of my mind. There's a lot of other things I got to do right now. And so Christ gets put on the back burner of our life. And pretty soon we get to the place where we're not even thinking about his second coming. Now, every generation that's been alive since Christ's birth we think he's coming in our lifetime. But after a while, we just kick it into neutral. We just think, okay, probably not in my lifetime. Maybe in my children's lifetime or my grandchildren's lifetime. And what we then do is our brain goes into neutral and we really don't think about his coming. Well, you realize Christ is coming back in one or two ways. He's either going to open up the clouds and he's going to come and rapture his church. Or he's going to come back and get you in death, one or the other. He is coming back one or two ways to get you. And the problem with most of us is that we don't think like that. And we don't, we don't anticipate that. Now, I know if you're a little older in age, you think like that. But to be honest with you, whether you're 11 or whether you're 77, you have to think like that every day. 
Just this past week in the Wakulla News in the obituary, a 27-year-old woman passed away. A young little girl was killed in a car wreck. He comes when you least expect it. In fact, that's what the Bible says. But now know this. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken in. Jesus says, I come as a thief in the night. And so we have to be ready. And Jesus is prepping his disciples. He's prepping everybody to say, listen, the hour is coming when you will least expect it. And that's when I'm coming. Whether I come with a rapture, whether I come in death, I'm coming. So be ready. So then the Bible says at midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bride is coming. Bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. Now, let's be honest. What wedding has ever started at midnight? Have you ever been to a wedding that started at midnight? Why did he say midnight? Because that would be the last hour you would at least expect this bridegroom to be coming. And these bridesmaids were supposed to be waiting and anticipating his coming. We are supposed to be waiting and anticipating his coming. No significance. I mean, you could say midnight. You've heard these stories about the 11th hour. What Jesus was basically trying to teach in this parable was that I'm going to come when you least expect it. Weddings usually, you think most weddings today are early in the afternoon, six, seven o'clock at night. If the bride or the bridegroom had been delayed till midnight, most of us wouldn't even be at a wedding, would you? course unless you were performing the wedding i don't know if i was if i was performing a wedding and it started at seven and by 10 the groom or the bride had not shown up i'd probably go home would you or would you wait it out most of us would say we're going home this is ridiculous of course with the day with cell phones and texts you can probably find out where they're at it may be a runaway bride i don't know but the whole point is is that this group of bridesmaids even the wise ones became lethargic they, they, they were drowsy and they went to sleep. And that's when he comes. That's why we always have to be prepared and ready for that coming. In the verse 7, it says, All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Listen, we made a mistake. We need the oil. The wise say, sorry, we can't help you. And there's, a, and there's a reason why they couldn't help you. Once again, this is a parable. Jesus is painting a picture. It wasn't that these bridesmaids were stingy. It wasn't that they were greedy. It follows the spiritual guidelines of what we understand. Is that when Christ comes back, there isn't time to prepare or get a second chance. Do you understand when Jesus comes back. You're not going to be able to prep to get ready for him. When he comes for you. If you're not ready. You're in trouble. There are some denominations that believe. You'll go into this magical place. And somebody can pray you out. And get you into heaven. Far from the Bible. Here's Jesus telling the story. Is that when I come back for you. If you are not ready, you will not have a second chance to get ready. You won't have time to make up for lost time. When I come back, it's over. One can never prepare 
tomorrow. One can only prepare today. So our best bet is we must prepare tomorrow today. You need to be preparing today for tomorrow. The reason why they did not share their oil is because no one can save you or transfer their salvation over to you. Your salvation is based upon your relationship with Jesus Christ and yours alone. The reason why these five wives could not give their oil, could not give their testimony, could not give their relationship is because it was theirs and theirs alone. You have to have your own. Nobody can share you into heaven. You can't go to heaven based upon River of Life's testimony. You can't go to heaven because you've got godly parents. You can't go to heaven because you've got an outstanding pastor. The only way you go to heaven, basically, is your faithfulness and your relationship with Jesus Christ. These five wise ones wasn't that they were greedy and didn't want to give it away. They couldn't. Because the parable of the story is that we have five foolish bridesmaids that decided not to keep shining their light to the world, decided not to have enough oil to shine for the groom to come. Therefore, they will pay the consequence for their foolishness. And really, it, it is kind of foolish because then they say this. They said, go to a shop and buy some for yourself. Now, let's be honest. How foolish is it to think that there would be a store open at midnight in Jerusalem? I mean, we have Walmart that's open 24 hours a day, and, and, and that's okay. We get lucky in that. But most stores today in America are closed at midnight. You know? And if you had to get the special oil, not just the Crisco, you wouldn't find it at a store at midnight. They were foolish enough to think that we could find somewhere to buy this oil at midnight. But you know what? Sometimes we are just as foolish. Sometimes God calls us to worship him. God calls us to love him. And we decided to go other places. And we think that it'll bring us joy and fulfillment. You think about that. Most bad things happen usually in the night. Because us, rather than being on our knees praying in the word with our family, with our church, we're chasing all the wrong things. So here's these five girls. They're foolish not to have oil. And then they're, <laughs> they're even more foolish to say, I know what, I will go out and buy some oil now. Think about this. This, this is the, the backdrop of a wedding, but it's the backdrop of a church. People sit in church all the time. They're here Sunday after Sunday. They walk out of church depressed. They walk out of church defeated. And they walk out of church in slavery. I went to church, I heard the message, but I'm still in the mess I'm in. I guess I need to go find it elsewhere. And so they go. They go elsewhere to find it. It's the same idea with these five foolish girls. They knew the groom was coming. They could anticipate his coming. And yet they weren't prepared. And finally when he starts coming, they then go out to try to find the oil. And the Bible says, but while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went into the marriage feast and the door was locked. So get this. The groom finally shows up at midnight 
And the five foolish ones are gone. And the five wise ones go, Lord, we've been waiting. We've been waiting on the groom. He is here. Now it's time to celebrate. Remember that it goes on a week. This is a week-long celebration. For you young people, could you imagine you finally get to stay up all night and enjoy? Two, three o'clock in the morning, just having a wonderful party. He shows up past midnight, and the five wise were waiting for him. Are we waiting for the Lord? When Jesus shows up to come get you, will you be shocked? Will you feel ill-prepared? Will you feel like you're not ready? Or when he comes, you'll say, I've been waiting on you. I've been waiting for this day, Lord. I've been anticipating it. And Lord, I am excited that you're finally here to celebrate life. Think about all that goes on into a wedding today in America. So we have a couple that gets engaged. And we celebrate it. We share it with everybody. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? They're engaged. They're going to get married. And then they give out the invitations. You know, everybody's going to be invited that they want to come. They, they mass out. And then all the planning starts. You know, what color dress are the bridesmaids going to wear? What color are the you know, suits are the grooms going to have? What color tie are they going to wear? Where are we going to have it? What are we going to eat? Where are we going to go for the honeymoon? I mean, and the list goes on and on and on. And heaven forbid, and within the next probably seven, eight years, I'm going to be doing all this with my two daughters. But there's a massive plan preparation, right? Any of you had children that have gotten married recently? Isn't that a lot that goes on? A lot that goes on in a wedding. Do you realize the plans and the preparation that the Lord has been making for your wedding day with Him? Do you realize who He's been telling in heaven about this? Do you realize the house He's been preparing for you? Do you realize all the artistic and articulate work that's been going on? The question is, are we doing the same? Are we saying, man, I'm getting married pretty soon. Man, it's going to be exciting. Man, you need to come to my wedding feast. It's going to be incredible. See, these ladies, these ladies were anticipating this wonderful event. And they got to experience it with everything in their might. But notice the key here. The key was that the Bible says that and the door was locked. When the party started, the door locked. Reminds me of a, a story in the Old Testament with Noah. Remember Noah got on the ark? Remember who shut the ark? Did Noah close the ark or who did? God shut the ark. Because he realized that if Noah had the right to, what would Noah have done? He'd have opened that ark up. Salvation comes when a man and a woman has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It was Noah and his three sons and their brides that had had that relationship with the Lord, the rest of the world did not. So when judgment day came, God was the one that shut the ark and locked it. When Christ comes back for me and for you, and he comes back for his church, he is the one that's going to lock the door because the opening and closing the door is not based upon us, it's based upon him. And it's based upon our relationship with him. And there's nothing we can do, so to speak, to share our salvation with somebody else it is strictly your responsibility and my responsibility to love the Lord. The Bible further goes on to say, and it says, Later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, saying, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But when he called back, notice what he said, Believe me, I don't know you. 
So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Notice, I like the word Jesus says, believe me. Have you ever been around somebody and you say, believe me? Believe me when I tell you this. Notice what Jesus says, believe me, I don't know you. Because in their brain, they said, wait, 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 wait. you don't understand, Lord. We're the bridesmaids. We were chosen for this wedding. We were chosen. And, and they couldn't understand why the groom wouldn't unlock the door. Hey, hey, grooms, hey, groom, you don't understand, buddy. Your wife chose me. I'm supposed to be a part of this wedding. And you're not going to open the door for me? And the groom says, why? I don't know you. And more than likely, he probably didn't know them. Same way. When God closes that door. And you can say, whoa, 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 Lord. What are you doing? I've been to church. He's going to say, I don't know you. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father, many say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, have done many wonderful works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. Notice the whole point of this parable is about when Christ comes back. And are we ready for his coming? And although we can sit in the church and do various things and, and know various scripture verses, you have to be ready for his coming. So real quick, let's just look at some lessons we can learn from this. Lesson one is just because a person goes to church doesn't mean that they have eternal life. These five foolish, and we'll note the word foolish, these foolish women thought they were a part of the wedding party because they had been invited. Christ invites everybody to heaven. He invites everybody to be a part of his kingdom. He wants everybody to be a part of this huge wedding feast that he's prepared for us. But it's only those who have placed their faith in him and have repented will be able to go. Just sitting in church won't do it. Not only that, salvation's not based upon... Uh, our love and faithfulness alone. I mean, salvation is based upon our love and faithfulness alone, not on our families, our pastors, or our churches. So often, well, you know, my mama's a good lady. I'm okay. My, I have a great preacher. I got a great church. I'm okay. No, no, no. See the parable. These girls had put on the fine clothes. They got to hang out with everybody. They got to prepare. They were there. But because they weren't prepared... Because they did not take time to anticipate and get ready for the groom's coming, it cost them. So what we have to do is we have to be careful. And we have to doze, we, have, we can't doze off spiritually by the wants and the cares of this world. Church, we've got to be ready for his coming. We have to anticipate it every day. And once again, it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. Christ is coming back. And one day, one day he's going to be there. And more than likely, it's going to be what? When you least expect it. I mean, some of you have been around family members recently that have gone on to be with the Lord. Think about that. No matter how ready you thought you were, when that passing came, it was just like that. 
Even though you knew their time was diminishing, even though you knew their time was coming, the shock wave that you experienced in that passing was wow. He will be the same way when he comes back. That shock wave that will ripple will just utterly astound you. So we have to be ready for him coming back. And last is, are we ready? Are you daily preparing for his coming? Like I said, go look at the obituaries. Death is no respecter of people. You will see both young and old going, leaving this world. So right in the middle of all this, of Jesus teaching about the, the, the earth and his second coming, he injects this parable about a wedding to say, listen, I'm getting ready to have a great wedding. My father is going to throw one of the biggest celebrations that anybody could possibly ever imagine. And I want you to be a part of that. In fact, I want you to be my bride. But in order for you to be my bride, you've got to accept me. You've got to believe me. And you've got to be pure and holy waiting for me to come. And I'm probably not going to come when you're ready for me. So don't worry. You just need to be ready. Because more than likely, I'll come when you least expect it. So we have to be ready for his coming. So church, today, let's be ready for Christ's coming. Let's be sure and be a light to the world as these five wise women were so gracious to hold their light to show the light of the groom when he came. Let's hold our light up so the world can see the Jesus Christ coming back. Let's don't be foolish. Let's don't drowse off and doze off every day when we wake up and every night when we go to bed. Let's be anticipating Let's be declaring that we are going to the most beautiful, the most priceless, the most words cannot even describe wedding feast you'll ever can imagine. You will be the bride of Jesus Christ and you will get to sit at the Father's table and celebrate with Him as long as as you are wise and prepared and anticipate his coming. That's how you'll be in the wedding. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words and forgive us today for chasing the world sometimes, Lord, for getting lethargic spiritually. Lord, forgive us. We, we, we're excited that you are coming back to take us home to be your bride. And God, we want to be pure and we want to be holy. So we pray that you will search our heart and see if there be any wicked way in us. Lord, we want to hold our light to show your coming and to show how blessed we are to be your bride. And Father, for those who may be unwise today, for those who, Lord, are not prepared, I ask today that you would help them to prepare Help them to be ready, Lord, so that when you do come back to get us to be your bride, we will be waiting for you with open arms and an open life. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.